Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest, where we aim to inspire you to live a passionate life. I am your host, Louisa, International Passion Ambassador, and I really thank you for making me a part of whatever you are doing right now. And if you like this episode, please do subscribe. My guest today is Diana Durham, who is a world-renowned author. And I can't wait to talk with her. Diana began a deep inquiry into the possibility that our global crisis are reflections of a prevailing dysfunctional sense of identity and consciousness in us as human beings. These ideas were explored in her non-fiction book, The Return of King Arthur, Completing the Quest for Wholeness, Inner Strength and Self-Knowledge Coming into Focus. In the figure of the wounded king and the wasteland kingdom that is a reflection of his wound found in the grail myth diana realized that the way to heal the wasteland the problems of our society and the damage to our ecology is to heal consciousness if wounded people produce a wasteland whole people produce living systems I just have to read that again. If wounded people produce a wasteland, whole people produce living systems. Diana is a graduate of University College of London with a BA in English literature and so many more things. She is also a certified practitioner of attunement, a lifestyle and healing practice. Diana is the author of three poetry collections, Sea of Glass, To the End of Night and Between Two Worlds. And before I introduce Diana, I have to read her credo from her website. It is so beautiful and it really sums up everything about her and what a beautiful introduction to the interview. She writes, I believe we have access to a source of insight unique to each one of us that can inspire and guide what we do. I believe that this source flows like a stream continually clear and refreshed. Streams emerge from underground springs and rainwater that falls on the land around. Ultimately, they are fed by the whole interconnected system of Earth's water and weather. I believe our flow of insight arises similarly from a wide and deep weave of cultural and inner life and constitutes a vital aspect of who we are. If we ignore our inner promptings, we grow confused. We give weight to the opinions and viewpoints of others and downgrade our own. At the same time, we overemphasize the impact that our upbringing and our surroundings have on us, while underestimating or overlooking our own power to shape our lives. Myths and archetypes from folklore and sacred writings, often called the wisdom traditions, encode this understanding. They also teach us that we are systematically connected to the world we live in and explain it is important to stay attuned to the wise inner source because the way we experience ourselves affects how we impact the world. That is why they are called wisdom traditions. My work as a writer is to share and explore these truths 
and their implications, for I also believe the leading edge of human experience lies now in mastering the forces of our own consciousness. Understanding ourselves and how we create frees up imagination and allows us to evolve ideas that play out into harmony with others and with the ecology of our beautiful planet home. That was amazing. Diana Durham, this is her story and this is her passion. Welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you. <laughs> I just love that you're such a beautiful writer and I'm so excited to have you on, your sh on the show. Thank you for being at Passion Harvest. I always like to give um, a little bit of introduction about yourself for those that people that don't know you. I know you've had personally had some incredible experiences and just a bit, give a bit of a background about your life or some pivotal moments in your life that made you who you are today. Well, um, I, I was brought up in a very ordinary uh, background. It's lower middle class British. Um, and I, but I was always searching for something, but I, don't, I didn't really know what it was. I couldn't understand why people's lives around me, the, the sort of the grown-ups, um, were, were so unhappy. Why, you know, we weren't, we weren't people who were poor. We didn't have really big problems in our lives, people like my parents and the people I knew. But no one was very happy. And when you're a child, you, you know what happiness is. And so you, you can sort of reflect, you know, you reflect on the difference, but unconsciously, I think. And I found that um, as I got older, I, I found that I, I gravitated to writers, poets and novelists, because they, they seemed to be the only ones that, that said anything really interesting and really important. Because, <laughs> you know, I was, again, I, I was a teenager or whatever, I'd be listening to the news and... I just thought, well, none of this seems to really go to the heart of, of ourselves and, and of the world we're living in. It all just seems to be by road. Again, I'm, I'm kind of putting a voice back into a, a, a younger consciousness. I didn't quite think those, those ways. And I also think at some point, um, I, I watched, I, I don't know how old I was, I maybe 12 or something, and I saw some of those documentaries coming out of, World War Two, um, showing the the liberation of the you know the uh, death camps, the concentration camps, some of those images, and I just thought, well, what's going on in the world if human beings can do that to other human beings? You know, there's something there's something here we need to sort of think about, and the same with the bombs, you know, the H bomb, atom bombs. What what's going on in us? How can this possibly be happening? So the, the, these were sort of threads of inquiry, I suppose. Um, and that more or less stayed with me. And then when I was 18, um, I, I, I met up with a long lost cousin who happened to live in a community in Canada. And I thought at the time, oh, it's a hippie community. And I'd, I'd finished um, high school and I was looking for a, a little bit of an adventure. And so I went to stay there thinking, well, if I don't like the hippie community, which was up in the sort of wilder regions of British Columbia, I can always stay Beautiful. with my aunt and uncle who will be normal. You know, there'll be normal people living in Vancouver in the city, just like my parents. But I, when I landed there, I found that they lived there too. So that there were old people as well as young people. And that 
you know, piqued my curiosity. Where was so it, anyway, can I ask? It, yes, I... it was in British Columbia. It was, um, it's the sort of plateau region up in the mountains of British Columbia. And um, it, it, so I, I got on this train and I, I, I made my way up the most spectacular scenery um, after suburban Britain, you know, uh, rivers and it's mountains. so beautiful. And, um, and I thought, oh, I, I felt so excited because I felt I was on a real adventure because I knew I was going to something di very different. I was a bit worried that it would be a weird community and they'd try and brainwash me because I didn't like anything to do with the word spirit <laughs> at the time. Um, but in fact, uh, the people were very nice and, and they were very kind to me, but they didn't make a big fuss. And if I wanted to join in, I, I could with, with the chores, you know, with the work that they did. And if I didn't, that was fine too. And long story short, I had, I had a remarkable time there. But also what happened to me was one evening I had an experience of transfiguration. And what I mean by that is I was sitting having tea with, with some friends. It was all very normal. And I suddenly felt this power rise up in me. And it, it was like, it was, I, I can still sort of remember it, even though I can't quite feel what it felt like. Um, but it was like a golden sun and I became so powerful and I I remember so this was happening but a little part of me was looking at what was happening and I remember thinking oh my goodness this is what that word love means this is what love is and this is what that word truth means because those are very they're words we use a lot and we mm -hmm. kind of know what they mean but I thought this is what they mean and and this is what we are this is what we are. And then I, I thought, oh my goodness, what, what happens when I go back to London? I'm going to be so powerful. I, I'll, I'll take over the whole world. I'll take over London. What am I going to do? I'm, I, I don't know how to handle this. And I said, it sounds crazy, but I, I said something like that to, to the people in the room who, of course, couldn't see anything different about me. And it didn't last very long, just a few, probably a few seconds, actually, a few minutes. And they just said, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine. They, they wanted to reassure me. Um, and then it, and then it, then it, it sort of, it faded and I was just back in the room having tea. Um, absolutely sort of gobsmacked, you know, by this experience that came out of the blue. And then as I went on reflecting about it, I thought, oh my goodness, this is in every single person on the planet. And most of us don't know about it. It's available to all of us. It's available. It's there. It's who we actually are. So... So I touched into the kind of experience that, you know, we write, we read about various mystics talk about this. There's all different ways of describing it. Um, there's a wonderful poem by Yeats, actually. It's at the, it's at the chapter, one of the chapter headings in the King Arthur book, I quote it, where he talks about a very similar experience. He's just sitting in a cafe and suddenly he's just filled with this energy. He called it a blessing, the energy of blessing. And so I thought, well, this, if, we, if we knew about this, wouldn't this world be so different? And I, I got this kind of thought of going into history of how all the pain and suffering of human beings, and yet we're just inches away from this, this beautiful power, this energy and assurance and everything, you know, and that's, you know, when, when we leave our bodies, that we, we re-experience that 
um, in its full blast quality. But I suppose coming out of that, I, I, I suppose the question was, well, how do these, how does my, what I now call my personality self, you know, the, the self that was born in lower middle class England. And Diana. Has, has, yeah, Diana, who's, who's was, had a very specific upbringing and has a certain DNA um, inheritance that's quite specific to me. Um, and probably not that unusual as well. Other people have variations on a theme, you know, brown eyes, brown hair. But I also mean qualities of character. Um, how, how do these two, and then has certain experiences and certain opinions and likes this kind of food and doesn't like something else, you know. How, how do these two things, how do they go together? How do they work together? Because... I think that as humans, human beings, we have these two, we have these two sides to us and we get, you know, we, we can't go off and live in the, that spiritual side because we're here, we're supposed to be here in these bodies in space and time. Uh, but at the same time, if we're completely disconnected from that and we feel that our identity, and it, it is all our beliefs actually, these things, we believe that we are just this, nature and nurture but yeah um we we can be very vulnerable to to circumstances and we can feel that we are victims rather than the very powerful people that we actually are i mean when you talk about that i mean i've had a lot of guests talk about similar things there's so many they're just words but i get the word veil so (laughs) many people have veil if you want to call it over them in some capacity, but I guess it's the comparison between our ego and our soul or our um, self and our multi-dimensional self. How do the two coincide and how we, how can we live like that on this earthly plane in our physical bodies? There are all of these words because we're talking about a realm, both our personality self and our inner self, however you want to, you know, they're both, realms that you you can't really grasp entirely with the intellect so we but we can think about them have thoughts about them Mm. but the actual experience is something quite different you know i mean it's like we took you if someone falls in love with another person that's a very different experience than just sort of thinking about it or reading about it in novels when you actually have the experience it's it, it changes you and so it's the same with these these dimensions of self um, but just as, you know, we have two eyes that see slightly different, you know, well, they focus slightly differently. We have two halves of the brain, the two brain hemispheres are now known to, to focus and slightly to pay attention to the world in different ways. Um, so we have, so we think in stereo rather than mono, you know, okay. we see in stereo, we hear in stereo. So, so our whole our whole being is made up of these two. The relationship between the two is what comprises our full identity. And because of our history of intellectual thought and, and for other reasons, um, we've, we've no, we no longer believe we have a soul. You know, our, our modern society, the, the basic... Um, assumption underlying our modern day society is that there isn't a soul 
Um, we're biological machines and we're run entirely by our genetic inheritance mm -hmm. or by the terrible things that happen to us. And there are terrible things that happen to people. Um, I'm, not, I'm not wishing to discount that. There are terrible things that happen to kids. Um, but ultimately, that's how, that's what we're given by our We're, we're defined by we're, almost. We're defined that. And so then we, we sort of, we, we're conditioned that way as we grow up and we, we believe that. And therefore, to some degree, we create that. And we, di and we disconnect, we, we, as I say in that, in that credo, we, you know, we discount. We discount this whole other side, even though it's so powerful. And you're also so in tune with nature and the environment. So um, people are so just, you know, obviously, I guess that sort of segues into coinciding with aligning with Mother Earth as well and nature, which we seem to have detached ourselves from as well. Yes, I, th I think that's probably true. I mean, it's interesting because, yes, we... We've, we've come to see nature just as a resource um, that we call about, we talk about sustainable living um, and we must just sort of manage it so that there's enough left for us to keep going, you know, <laughs> which if, is... If, so, I mean, some people aren't even inter interested in sustainability, <laughs> but... <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so there's, so that's a materialistic view. And, and it used to be the the Christian view used to be that the world was fallen, you know, and so... Um, it was in both cases the, the natural world was seen as detached from the divine if you like or the spirit mm -hmm. or the magic or the, or the um but i don't think it is and i think there's this very very interesting relationship between our consciousness and the outer world that's just as important in a way as the relationship with the with this inner flow of ourselves i think the two the two work together and in very very interesting ways, which are very intricate and quite difficult to articulate. No, and you're explaining it very well. I guess it begs the question, how do we connect with both of those, um, I wouldn't say extremes, because they could be very intricately related. How do we connect with the self and the multidimensional self? Well, I think that, um, I think you just pay attention a lot of the time to how you feel. Um, I think that that idea that um, Abraham Hicks idea that your your emotions are, are a guidance system is a very a very helpful one. You know, it's it's quite a revolutionary idea to say, well, I'm feeling, yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling unhappy. Oh well, then what what is the thought you're holding? Oh, well, I I don't think I'm any good at anything. Well, that thought is so out of it's it's such alignment. A I think she talks about alignment. <laughs> yeah, to the power that's inside you. They're so out of sync that you feel the discord. You know, that's a that's an amazing insight. That's it's so simple. She's I, I just love her, and I think I think her words. She says a belief is just a thought you keep thinking. Exactly, exactly, and that's exactly what it is. And and so and they're helpful beliefs. But they, I think they should always be open to malleability. You know, it's when they become fixed and when they become part of our own identity mm -hmm. um, that, that we run into problems, really. It is true. And I honestly believe, I mean, I'm just speaking personally from my own experience that coming into alignment with, with the self and the multidimensional self 
one of the best ways is to get happy. It's the easiest, yeah. most simplest way. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you get happy? Um, practice. Indeed. Practice. It, it, it is, is practice, really. It is. It the more practice. you practice at it, you, but the better you get. And things, you know, seem to not bother you so much anymore and things don't worry you as much and you do get happier. Right. Yes, it's very true. I, so I, I, that's why it's called the law of attraction, I guess, because... Yeah, so well, you practice different thoughts. You, you, yeah. I think she calls yeah. it pivoting. Yeah, yes, that's right. So, I mean, the, and the Grail myth is all about this. Um, it, it's... It's about the this, this coming to understand our own consciousness put into this extraordinary story form, symbolic form, that I, I think it's like our, our dream, you know, our collective dream. Well, um, I'd love to talk about that and for those that haven't read, and I'd, I want to move on to your new book a little bit further down in the interview, but The Return yeah. of King Arthur and the Grail Myth, I'd love to hear about that. It's well, incredible I, I, for anyone that's listening, by the way. Thank you. Well, no, I mean, those myths are amazing. And, and writing that book, I just, my, I blew my mind. I, I mean, I, I suppose I, I didn't, the myth blew my mind. So as, you, as I delved in and saw all these little facets and what they meant. But essentially, the King Arthur, the, the King Arthur story and the Grail story run in parallel together in all the different versions if you, if you go into them. Um, and often you find the Grail stories in the background of the King Arthur thread and vice versa, the King Arthur story is in the background of the Grail thread. And to me, this, I interpreted this as the King Arthur story, meaning our collective evolution as a society or as a world, whatever, a Western world, I don't know, it's a Western myth. Um, and the Grail is the individual, the individual thread running through that and how the two interact and the i had a mentor i mean my, i i met someone who was my king arthur um who who inspired me to go on the quest to 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 go and find my own authority that's and that's what happens um in in the myth and the the grail story i think i've come to focus on that more in a, certainly in my more recent book, um, the, the Grail story, he begins, Percival begins um, by not knowing very much. He's quite sort of foolish, but he's very successful in a way. Um, you know, he overcomes various wayward knights, he trains, he becomes, he gains skills and he saves his sweetheart. He, he finds a sweetheart and he saves her from, um, other other wicked knights who are besieging her and then he he stumbles into the to the castle of the wounded king and that's the real center of the story and um he's sitting in a banqueting hall next to the wounded king and a door opens at one side of the room and the great light now this room is already full of candlelight and firelight but a young, beautiful young woman steps in. She's holding the golden chalice. And as she steps into the room, it's as if the sun has come out. So much light fills the room. And he, he's staring at this and he's wondering, well, 
who who does who does this grail who's it for what's it for whom does it serve who's going to drink out of it and she she walks from one side of the banqueting hall across in front of them and goes into an, a, another door on the other side and disappears and previously percival has been advised not to talk too much okay <laughs> it shows that he's rather foolish you see one of his one of his very kind advisors who trained him as a knight realized he was rather naive and foolish and every time he opened his mouth he sounded a bit silly so he advised him not to talk too much and as a result he doesn't ask the question whom does the grail serve he just stays silent um so he doesn't he doesn't fully understand what's going on and um then later on he gets scolded for not having asked that question by a grieving maiden and then a hag who comes and tells him that because he didn't ask about it the wasteland is going to persist and the wounded king will stay wounded and he doesn't understand any of this but eventually he says okay i'm going to go and find i'll find that castle again i'll find the ground so what's going on in that room it the story has suddenly turned into a symbol of our consciousness and the grail represents the heart as it's filled just like that experience of my that i mm. that i described earlier that's what that that's describing an epiphany a very major epiphany as the grail it and it's almost as if the heart has t- turned its uh, attention away from the outer world and it's moved through consciousness and is reconnected with the inner right so instead of being all wrapped up in identity outside of ourselves my i'm just this kind of person and i've got all these problems and i've got i've got these challenges suddenly it's bam it's like me sitting in that little room having tea and i'm filled with this golden power it's like suddenly you touch into something yeah. and you suddenly realize that there's something very different going on in the world and that you have power not just it's not power isn't just outside of you with people in institutions right people that have sway over you it's in you but you don't understand it yet you don't consciously understand it you've had the experience percival doesn't percival doesn't but percival is us oh is percival That's you what? i have to ask the i beg to ask hey. the question is he you <laughs> or he's an aspect all, of you yes he's an aspect it's like a dream where you know every part of it is about you well the myth is like that about us about all of us it's a language of our own psyche so percival has the experience he doesn't know what it means and he doesn't know where the grail's gone to and later on he learns that it it serves um an elderly man with white hair who's very refined in nature and of course he's a symbol this elderly man whom i call the grail king who's living in that inner room but we didn't see him he's he represents god let's say mm. or you could say he represents the inner room of ourselves where the power that power lies that we that's there but we don't always experience it consciously which of course is another reason another another we call that god sometimes or we call it source energy or we call it the soul or i mean it doesn't really matter what we call it you know but it's that that's is that inner powerful dimension that golden energy um that's what that's what the heart the grail is the heart it's the container of the heart and that's what the heart is supposed to serve it's supposed to feel that energy 
and let that energy guide us in terms of well is this the right is this the right action or is that the right action you know which is how we get to trusting our intuition and finding following our dreams i don't know if that's that was just beautiful <laughs> i i just have to ask the question did you know all this as you were writing it or did you write it and then understand everything no it was evolving that that's why it was so interesting i mean obviously i had this touchstone experience and i'd had lots of other experiences and i and i realized that the grail story was a myth about alignment if you like about spiritual connection but i pulled out all, the meaning evolved over time one of the keys was that symbol of the vasic piscis pisces where the do you know that symbol where the two circles overlap no 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 well there's it's a very famous as an ancient symbol it's really it's just two equal two half circles no two two equal circles okay and the circumference of each um intersects the other's center and when if you draw that geometrically um if you draw that geometrically you get a, a a kind of a shape an almond shape in the middle uh, which is called the vesica and it, it, it means the vessel of the fish because it makes a fish shape. Hmm. You never heard of that symbol? I, I potentially it, have. Maybe if I see it visually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Look, I'm a Pisces myself, so I probably have seen it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's called the almond. The, um, uh, what's the word? I can't think of it now. There's an Italian word, but it means almond. It's, it's just talking about the shape that is made geometrically when you create this, this shape of the two overlapping circles. Well, the fish reference got me in touch with the wounded king because he's also the wounded fisher king. And we can oh. talk a bit about that, why he's called the fisher king. The, the reason he, because he's wounded and nothing can heal him. Nothing makes him better. It, the, the only thing that relieves his pain is when he goes fishing. So he's called the fisher king, the wounded fisher king. So I put together that with this symbol and that began to open up the meaning of, of the Grail legend to me because that symbol um, has been used by quite a, a well-known writer about um, Tibetan Buddhism um, to indicate, to, to symbolize the overlapping of inner and outer consciousness. So the, the, inner, the inner self, the outer self, when they merge, they create this fish opening shape in the middle yes like the two circles and, and that, that that become yeah yeah and that's um that's that balance that's a symbol of balanced consciousness where the inner and the outer have are merging mm -hmm. like almost like the yin and the yang and the exactly. unity exactly exactly okay. yeah yeah so all of that's in there in that in that amazing myth i mean there's so much there's so much in there that's beautiful. And we've been talking about the soul and consciousness, but I also wanted to ask you about psychic DNA. You do talk about that. What is psychic DNA? Well, psychic DNA, funnily enough, um, I recently asked a good friend of mine if he'd review my book. And then I remember that back, my new book, back along the way when I was writing the King Arthur book, he, he used the phrase himself, oh, those myths, the grail myth, and it's psychic DNA. And I thought, oh, he's so right. So I have to attribute to, to William Duffield, my good friend. Thanks, William. Uh, yes. <laughs> and um, 
Oh, well, it just means that. It means that they are, they are, they are the shaping, just like DNA informs our genetic patterning in some ways that we don't fully understand. These myths um, inform our psychic patterning. They, 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 I call them our operating instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I, th- I think of them like when you go and buy a really, you know, um, complicated gadget, like a new computer or, I mean, my daughter recently, they just bought a pram and it was so complicated. They had this whole booklet. <laughs> how it worked, how you opened it, how you put it together. And I think it's like those booklets that we, we get along with our gadgets that explain how it works but only they explain it linearly and with little diagrams but the myths explain it in narrative and symbol because we are very complex beings and so we have a very complex and beautiful um, symbol and narrative to explain ourselves it's not the only myth that does that of course um, but the grail myth is is peculiarly full and and sophisticated in the way it talks about the magical way our um not just our consciousness but our relationship to it and how we figure out how to use it because percival after that moment in the grail he 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 goes off and tries to carry on being a knight and you know doing things that knights are supposed to do and overcoming other knights and doing good deeds and all the rest of it but he keeps being told by these they, they're always female characters. You're wasting your time. You, do, you need to go and ask, find out who the grail serves. You didn't ask that question. Because if you don't ask that question, you won't heal the king. And if you don't heal the king, you won't restore the wasteland. Because it's, that's the question that's going to heal the king. Now, why does it heal the king? Because, because the wound is the consciousness that's disconnected from the power, the power within. That's what the wound symbolizes. The disconnect, disconnection with source that you mentioned before. That's what the wound. That's what that wound is all about. And if you could put it into modern terms, it could be called a disease or disease within the body, potentially. Well, it, it's uh, it can lead to that. I mean, all psychic problems can lead to that. But it's the fundamental. It, it's the fundamental wound, which is that the the, the the losing of one's power, right? Because mm-hmm. that's that's the real power. So you're and he is he's unable to bring life to his land. So you see, so the land reflects it. The the cattle can't reproduce and the crops fail and the land is, is ravaged by war and conflict. A direct reflection. So I guess, you know, sometimes we sort of brush away myths wherever they might come from, from various societies or traditions or Indigenous people. But in fact, I guess they're fundamental to our psychic DNA. I think so. Um, Again, I think sometimes we have a dream that's very powerful and we remember it after we've woken up and we think about it. And it's, it's, dreams are symbolic, obviously, and they haven't often have a strange narrative to them. Um, and you, you start thinking and you, com- you go backwards and forwards between your de- your actual real life, awake, wake, wake life. Well, what is real? I have, to be, I have to ask the question because <laughs> I'm, I'm of the belief now that dreams are potentially the reality. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Well, they're part of the reality. Part of the yeah. reality. Part of the reality. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you think, you think backwards and forwards. You must have had this experience, you know, where you... I had a very vivid, vivid dream last night, actually. Two, well, if, three, three very vivid dreams. Well, sometimes there's something in there and you, you, you think, oh, I know what that means. That means, I don't know, that conversation I had yesterday mm -hmm. on my mother or, you know, whatever it is. And, and then, so then that, once you know what it means in this realm, in the waking realm, then that throws more light back onto the dream. And as you understand more of the dream, you understand more of the waking world. And so this relationship between the dream and the real world opens up the meaning of both. And that's what the myth does. See, that's, so when you read the myth, it, it might not make much sense, but then you start understanding what it means in terms of our lives and our psychic development and our consciousness. So that's really cool. I mean, well, I like it's, it's really cool how you explained it and it's just amazing. And I, I just can't wait for people to read it. Honestly, it's a fabulous, fabulous book and you explain it so beautifully. Having said that, I'd love to talk about your new book. It is called, is it the co coherent self, a coherent world? Coherent self, coherent world. Com and also congratulations for all the books. I know, I mean, personally from what goes into a book, I mean, you're a world-renowned author, but congratulations. Coherent Self, Coherent World, A New Synthesis of Myth, Metaphysics, Metaphysics and Bohm's Implicate Order. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's a very small book. It's a big title. It? Okay, book. I'd yeah. love you to talk about it. I, I have to say I haven't read that one yet. Do you know David Bohm? No. Heard of him. <clears throat> uh, no, I could lie, but actually I haven't. <laughs> no. Well, um, well, that book takes, it, it looks again, it, it really puts this symbol that I, I mentioned of the two circles, of Asica Piscis mm -hmm. or Pisces, or the mandola, that's, uh, that's the Italian name meaning almond. Some people know it as the mandola. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and some people call it a Venn diagram because it, it's, you know, schools use it. Um, I've seen it on the walls in, in schools where you're looking at what's about, you're looking at two areas and you look at what overlaps between them, what's mm -hmm. different and what, what they share. And that's again, like consciousness, you know, there's the inner, inner and the outer, and then they blend. And that, that shape, that basic shape is where they blend. So, so it takes that symbol and really looks at it very, uses it, to look at consciousness in very, in very, I really wanted to show because you can't cut consciousness away from, from the world. You see, we, so that the very way we are will affect the way we see the world and therefore the way we act in the world. I mean, this fundamentally, it's like, if you feel unhappy, you will, you will, you will look out at the world and you will see that as an unhappy world and you will look at people and you will relate to them in a way that is unhappy because you will either dislike them, <laughs> feel threatened by them, or you will depend, be, feel dependent upon them for your sense of well-being. Right. So that's, those are the fundamentals. Yes. And it goes back to the premise that we create our reality. Well, exactly. But how do we create it? Because we don't feel connected to our own power right as soon as you feel connected to your own power you look back out in the world 
and it's like the sun's come out even if it's not a sunny day you know you see it differently you see people differently you feel much, you're much more balanced you don't feel threatened by people as much nor do you feel demanding of them to make you feel okay to make you you know so you're free really you're free that's that's that's, that's what we're all looking for really isn't it freedom it's freedom yes absolutely power and freedom i love that's what that yeah passion and freedom <laughs> well this is passion this isn't it it's the essence of passion is alignment really what a what, what a beautiful message you're sharing with the world <laughs> thank you it is beautiful it is beautiful it's the myth is beautiful and the way we we're designed to work is beautiful and when you know that experience it's beautiful and it's so sad to live to live you know and not use this incredible power the thing is you're using it anyway you just don't know you don't you don't realize we get trapped in our own consciousness mm. it's very interesting I think it's anyway. something that, you know, we all have access to it. And as you said, you know, one of my tips, always one of my tips is get happy, but it does take practice, you know. Um, I think, you know, many people say it takes 30 days to change a thought or a belief or a habit. Yes, well, that may be true. I don't know. And uh, we live in an instantaneous, <laughs> but we want everything instantly. It doesn't happen instantly. No, it doesn't. Unfortunately. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's a person, indeed. But anyway, so I, I just want to, so, so I'm using, I'm drawing, I'm drawing on those threads to explore how, how this works in, in finer, in a, with a, a sort of a magnifying glass, really, over that particular part of the King Arthur book. I really wanted to look at the way consciousness and the world interact. And I also draw on, and so I draw on the Grail myth, I draw on some other archetypes to do that, draw on a bit of Tibetan Buddhist thought. Um, but I also draw on uh, David Bohm, who is a physicist, a theoretical physicist, um, who was as much a philosopher as he was a physicist. And he had new insight into the, the, the quantum reality, which I don't, I can't say that I fully understand it. <laughs> but I know he was brilliant. He was a genius. And I, I met him because he he was part of something called dialogue because he, he wanted to explore human thought. And I, I won't go into all of that, but he, he came up with a very interesting idea, which is that rather than seeing the universe as made up of lots of little tiny, essentially building blocks, even if they're tiny quarks or whatever they are, he, and so that the, the whole thing in a sense is, is, is material. It, and if you can find this thing, you'll be able to put it all together. And it's, a, it's still a material universe. He, he kind of turned it on its head and said, no, the universe has a kind of an interior quality to it, which he called the implicate order. And the implicate order and the explicate order, which is the outer, are in a continual process of interrelationship. And meaning is expanded through this process and i mean just to give a very i give a very very simple example in in the book is like for instance supposing the idea comes into my head to phone up my friend and we meet for coffee so that's an idea that so that you could say that's the implicate that's it's the unformed 
but it leads to the explicit because I pick up the phone and I talk to someone and then we have coffee. So it's that, that meaning has emerged out of this idea and has affected the explicit world. I'm sitting there with my friend, suddenly, well, we get the idea we're going to meet regularly. So that's an idea, that's the implicate, but it's been created by sitting together, which is the explicate. Mm. So then if I'm, so, so, so that's just a very simple example of, of this process happening. But in his, in the way that Bohm explored these ideas, he, he obviously went into much greater depth um, than, than we can do, you know, or I can do justice to right now. Anyway. <laughs> I do try to do it in my book. But it seemed to me that this was another amazing way, another language in which these worlds were, were in relationship, um, but, you know, between the implicate and the explicate orders, and that me- meaning gets generated out of the interaction between the two. Very interesting. I mean, I, I guess my other question to you is, um, do we live, uh, is everything a mirror of our reality? Do we live in an isolated world? So if we do create our reality, we create the people that come into our reality as well, or is it a collective consciousness that creates our reality? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's something here already. Like if, when we're born, you know, we, I, I believe that we incarnate out of, out of this other mm-hmm. undimensional place and we come into a body and grow up. And obviously we are starting to then form that world through our thoughts and intentions. But it's already, we've already come into something that's quite big and complex already here. I don't think that all just got made as soon as we were born. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a very bad. interesting concept because, you know, we're influenced by our, our psychic DNA, as you call it, or our genetic DNA from our ancestors and, you know, our thoughts yeah. and beliefs from our environment, from the family that we choose to yes. come into this world yeah. with. So I may yeah. be a bit of both. Yes. And those are like deep roots, aren't they? You could say they're deep roots of the, in the empathy. Cyclic roots, I yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Thank you so much for talking about this. I, I mean, I've loved our conversation. <laughs> so, <laughs> Diana, on a final note, I have to, I'd love to ask your advice for people. How, I guess this is two questions, how do they find their passion? And if so, what is your advice for them to follow their passions? Well, I think, um, I, think th- I think there's a couple of things to say there. I don't, the word passion, sometimes it can mean, oh, well, I, I should be a great writer or I should be a great politician. And it might, it might mean that like some, some, we, we come in with, it seems to be me that we do come in with certain sort of essences of intention to follow out. But I think increasingly these days, it might not just be one, one thing. It could be several things. And perhaps women know that better than men because we can have children. And multitask. <laughs> and, and multitask and that there are lots of things with you know i'm having children was one of the most meaningful things for me so i I don't think a passion necessarily means what it might have meant oh i've got to be another michelangelo you know what i mean but it might do i think passion means whatever 
you know, you feel interested, interesting, whatever makes you feel, ooh. And it can mean something quite minor, like, I don't know, having waffles. Flying a kite. I don't know. Or flying a kite. Or, <laughs> also, I had one guest said, whatever floats your boat. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> and it might change. It might change during your life. It might be this and it might be that. But it's, you do, you do, you, you find it by listening to how you feel to your, intu- intu- your intuition. Um, oh, that's the other thing, actually. Just, just that's, I do write about intuition in Coherent Self because we, we have these insights and we kind of get this sense that they're real, that, that, that you know, they're true, even before we know why they're true. Mm. And that's the reason we know that is because the inner and the outer line up in a kind of new agreement. We get a new insight, we get a new compulsion, oh. you know? And it's like, it's like that agreement between the two saying, yes, the circles have lined up, the things opened, that's it, go for it. And so I think we must, we, and if we've downplayed that in ourselves because of our conditioning, oh no, you know, it used to be that kids were conditioned by their parents, they were doctors, you've got to be a doctor. You know, it doesn't happen as much anymore. But, but if we're conditioned to think we should be doing something else, we should be doing you know, something else, we can, lose a, we can lose the way that works within us. But it's foolproof. So it, you're listening for that intuition, for when that thing lights up in your mind, in your heart, and you feel abs- it, it brings you alive, you feel excited by it. You don't know how to get to it yet, don't worry about it, because the path will open. Mm. The path will open. Just like it is for you, right? I mean, yeah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful answer. I mean, I always say and believe if you follow your passions, the universe will support you. And, and beautifully said because it's all about emotions. Well, that is your guidance system, really. It's the easiest guidance system if you find it without practice, yeah. hard to hear, guides, intuition, all those sort of things. The emotions yeah. are the easiest guidance yeah. system. And then you get the next step. Oh, I, I, I see. I could do this. I could do this. And doors open and things happen and yeah. you meet people and yes. connectedness yeah. and synchronicities. Right. Synchronicities, that's all, a good one. All of that. All of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, wonderful. Diana, it's been an honour and a pleasure to have you on Passion Harvest and um, I can't wait to read your new book. Well, thank you. It's been a lovely conversation. Enjoy thank meeting you. you very much. Thank you so much and um, we'll speak soon. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.